Well, due to Mother's Day, we're going to place our series in John on hold. For those who are new around here, I am not a good Mother's Day speaker. In fact, I am horrible at it. So don't leave the church over it, amen? You may remember last year I was able to pawn this off to Greg Wagoner. What a blessing that was, amen? Bear with me here as I do my best to speak on the immense honor and distinction it is to be called a mother. Would you join me, please? Take your Bibles and let's go to the small but powerful book of Ruth, located in your Old Testament. It's after Judges before 1 Samuel, the book of Ruth this morning. It's a great book, and if you've never read it, boy, it's such a short read, you should do so today. Uh, Very powerful. I'd like to do a verse-by-verse on this at some point in the future. Ruth chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 18. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilian. I don't know why this is a tongue twister for me. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilian died also, both of them. The woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return unto thee, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. For they lifted, and they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So we see in verse 1, the time frame here of this account is during the time that the judges ruled in Israel. This was a time period that spanned from 
the death of Joshua until the coronation of Saul as king over Israel. And there's a lot of dates that are given out there for how long this period lasted. Some say it was just under 200 years. Some say it was over 400 years. The most common answer you'll get is 350 years in that ballpark. I didn't take time to research it, so we're just going to go with that. Amen. So, in the book of Judges, we are told that this was a time when there was no king in Israel. Therefore, every man did that which was right in their own eyes. And as a result of this, there was a volley back and forth between peace and safety and spiritual and social chaos. There was civil unrest, spiritual unrest, moral decay, religious decline, and all kinds of corruptions with the generational power struggles. Does that sound like a country to you? Boy, that sounds like America to me. Why? Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And that's what happens to a society when we just do whatever we want to do. And with all of this going on in Israel, we have this wonderful account here in the book of Ruth. It takes place outside of those power struggles. And we kind of get to zoom in on a situation that is not dealing with all of this leadership stuff in the land and the, and the enemies and all, but we get to see this family as they live during this time. And we're going to see that this book is great because not only do we get that, that angle of it, but we also will find that this is pointing forward to the Messiah. And we get a picture of the Gentiles being brought into Christ's kingdom. It's a great book. There was a man named Elimelech who was married to a woman named Naomi. They had two sons, Malon and Kilian. They were from the little town of Bethlehem, Judah, or Bethlehem. And as many of you know, in those days, names were very significant in their meanings. So significant that people would change their names in order to fit what it was they felt like they were going through, as we see in just a minute with Naomi. And Elimelech means, my God is king. That's a good name. Naomi means pleasant. Malon means sickly. Killian means pining, as in being consumed away. This is interesting to me. We have this husband and wife with these great names living in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Things are going pretty well. But evidently, something took a turn. Because you don't look at your glowing pregnant wife and say, I got a great name for our son, sickly. (laughs) Something happened. Same thing with Malon. And so evidently the circumstances changed to the point where maybe, man, when when Elimelech and Naomi were, were younger, things were going great. Now it looks like things aren't going so great. We can surmise by the information that we're given that the reason why these children have these depressing names is because there was a famine in the land. That the house of bread no longer had bread. There wasn't enough to go around. And Elimelech decides it would be best to leave Bethlehem and go into the country of Moab. Moab was the name of the son from the drunken, incestuous relationship between Lot and his eldest daughter. And so understand what they're trading here. They're going from the house of bread down to Moab. And the Bible says they went there to sojourn, which tells us that they didn't go down there intending to stay. 
They weren't going to settle down there. I've heard messages from preachers that have absolutely railed on Elimelech for picking up his family and moving to Moab because of all that we know that unfolds as a result of them doing that. There is death that they find there instead of this great blessing that they were hoping to get. And I understand that there are some great applications to be made from this. And we, we ought to make those applications. Look, if God's given you land, be very careful about leaving it. God gave them the land. And yet, they got up and they left. We can understand that. I would think that a man whose name is God is King, who lives in the house of bread, should have trusted God more and probably stayed put. That would be my opinion. By his leaving, we are left to speculate that he's now taking matters into his own hands, not believing that his God is in fact King. God takes care of us, amen? But before we cast stones at Elimelech, fathers, I think you can understand what he's going through. The Bible says if a man doesn't provide for his own home, he's lower down than an infidel. And here's a man looking at a sickly child and one that's consuming away. And we can imagine that if we were in that circumstance, we would probably do whatever it took to get our children what they needed. So I don't want to cast stones at Elimelech here. But they leave to sojourn in Moab, but they end up dwelling there. And it didn't go well. But to be fair, they didn't really know what awaited them in Bethlehem either. Perhaps the same thing would have happened. We don't really know all of this, but while in Moab, Elimelech dies. I suspect this was very early on by how this flows in this opening chapter. Naomi's sons each take for them a wife from among the Moabites, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. Orpah means a mane, like a horse's mane. Amen. I don't know if she had long hair or what was going on there. But if you break this word down, what you'll discover is it's talking about the back of the neck, and so it implies, that, uh, it implies stiff, being stiff-necked. Ruth, on the other hand, means friend. Well, in verse 5, we see that Malon and Killian, they both die as well. Ten years has passed. What was to be a sojourn turned into a ten-year stay in Moab, and there are now these three widows. It's a sad scene that's unfolding before us here in the book of Ruth. Naomi is now a widow living in a foreign land without the protection and provision of her husband or her sons in a male-dominated society. She has no grandchildren to cheer her predicament. We don't know if she even wanted to go to Moab. And wives, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where husband's got a decision to make and we don't know. We, we don't know the particulars. We assume it was Elimelech's idea and the meaning of Naomi also uh, can mean agreeableness. And it could just be that she agreed. It was brought up, she agreed to it, and maybe she just went along with it. For all we know, she could have suggested it. Either case, do you kind of wonder at this point if she's thinking, boy, I wish one would have listened to the other if either one of them disagreed? And I just bring this up to tell you, be careful how you respond in your crisis. Amen. Be careful. Whatever the case, notice what she says in verses 20 and 21. And she said unto them, she had returned to Bethlehem here, it says, And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, 
For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. Mara means bitter. She's changed from being a pleasant woman to a bitter woman. This is how she identifies herself. She feels God has been against her. She's now all alone. Yet God is going to intervene. God has not forsaken her. In verse 6, Naomi learns how God has visited His people in giving them bread. So she decides to leave the country of Moab and head back to Bethlehem. There's bread once again in the land of the house of bread. And so there's this exodus that takes place in verse 7. And these three ladies start heading for Judah. And probably, I would imagine, as they got to the outskirts of town, I don't reckon Naomi would have waited till they were halfway there to say this to, their, to her daughters-in-law, but probably as they get to the outskirts of the city, Naomi tells her daughters-in-law here in verse 8, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Now her daughters-in-law could have left the moment that their husbands died. But they stayed with Naomi. They had this great relationship we can see here. They stayed with her throughout all of her loss. And really all of their losses, they stayed together. And so Naomi says in verse 8, Go return to your mother's house. And these lives have become intertwined. And I can imagine it would be hard to look at them and say, You need to go back. They They had mourned their loss together. They had breathed together. They no doubt went to the markets together. They had shopped together. They had built this relationship together. They had become very close through all of this. And as Naomi tells this to her daughters-in-law, we see that they do what women do. They lifted up their voices and wept together. Amen. That's what women do. Somebody say amen. Listen, I know, I know there's time to be like, Adrian, why are you crying? I don't know why I'm crying. I'm just crying. Men, that's women, amen? And so here they are, they're lifting up their voice, they're crying in the middle of the street. I'm sure people are walking by going, what in the world is going on there? And they're crying, we can understand that. I'm just trying to joke a little bit and lighten it up, but that didn't go well, and now I'm sweating even more. (laughs) It's noteworthy here that Naomi tells these two daughters-in-law, return to your mother's house. Typically, when this kind of conversation would take place, there would be instruction to return to your father's house. In fact, you'll only find the phrase mother's house three times in your Bible. We know from Ruth 2.11 that their father was still alive. So why does Naomi say return to your mother's house? This isn't the message. You may think it is as I begin this, but it's not. Some have suggested it's because mothers are more comforting and more affectionate than fathers. Well, that may be true, but I know that's also debatable. It depends on the disposition of the parent. Amen. And I've known some who have had situations that they'd rather go to their father than their mother. So I really don't think that's the reason here. I think what Naomi is getting at by saying return to your mother's house, it has to do with being remarried. When she bids them to go back to their mother's house, they both say in verse 19, Surely we'll return with thee unto thy people, because they both loved Naomi. But Naomi goes on to say to her daughters-in-law in verses 11 through 13, she says, I'm too old to remarry. I have, no, I have no prospects. I can't bring you sons. I don't have that 
ability. And even if I could, even if I could have a husband tonight and I had twin boys, would you really wait for them? And so she, she tells him, look, it's okay. You don't have to stay. She tells him twice, turn again. Go into your mother's house. In other words, go get you husbands. I can't provide you any. I believe this is the sense because in those days, it was customary that the mother's section of the house, boy, what a bliss that must have been to have a dad's side and a mother's side. Amen? Oh, glory. Could you imagine how well people... Okay, all right, stop. Stop. It was customary to go to the mother's section of the house to consummate the marriage. The Bible says in Genesis 24:67 that Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent and she became his wife. In Song of Solomon, chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. And so Naomi here is saying, look, I, I don't have any prospects. I, I can't help you. Uh, you are free of any obligation you may feel to be with me. It's okay if you go. I can't give you sons to marry. I can't show you kindness any longer. But she says, God can. And she says, go back to your mother's house and remarry. And in verse 14, they all weep together again. Orpah kisses Naomi goodbye and she heads back to her people. But we know here that Ruth uh, cleaves to Naomi. And what Ruth is doing here, if, I've, if I'm understanding this correctly, is she is giving up the prospect of marriage in her own homeland. She is cleaving unto an aged mother-in-law. And without being ugly, Naomi turns to Ruth again in verse 15. And she tries to get her to do what seems like the logical thing for a person to do in her situation. And that is, turn back to your mother's house. And it's like she can still see Orpah. And if you hurry up, Ruth, you can still catch up with your sister-in-law. And she says this, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Man, that must have struck Ruth. Not because Ruth didn't already believe it, but I think what this does is it takes this conversation to a whole nother level. And Ruth hears that. And her decision all of a sudden, in Naomi's eyes, she begins to realize this has nothing to do with geography. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because I gave you a bunch of dry stuff, now we're going to preach a little bit. What Ruth is saying here, look, it doesn't have anything to do with geography. It doesn't have anything to do with familiarity. It doesn't have anything to do with my security. It doesn't have anything to do with me being overly emotional right now. But this decision that I am making is based upon spiritual truth. Look at her response in verses 16 and 17. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and and where thou lodgest, I will lodge, and thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also of aught but death part thee and me. What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37-39, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Everybody getting this? And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. There is a call in the Bible to forsake all and go after Christ. And boy, is that missing in our day. People come into church, what can you do for me? What do you offer for my family? What can you do? No, 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 no. We've got it backwards. Jesus said, you got to forsake all and you got to follow me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Forsake all and follow. And that's that's what Ruth is doing. Take up your cross and die to self. Die to the security you think you have. Die to the wrong orthodoxy you may have been raised in. Die to your family if you have to. We've seen it here. You may not have known it because you don't know the backstories all the time. But listen, we've had people get born again and we dunk them in the water and they were Catholics. Do you know what their families do to them now that they've identified with believer's baptism as an adult? They're shunned. I have seen it in our church. And if you have to forsake family to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you do it. Where you go, Lord, I'll go. Where you dwell, I'll dwell. You shall be my God. And thy people shall be my people. I will die with thee. Nothing is going to come between me and thee. Not my plans, not my schemes, not my ideas of what makes makes logical sense. But Lord, I am all yours. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. And Ruth is saying to Naomi, I have decided to follow no turning back. And Ruth, while she's in her valley of decision, decides to cast her lot in with God and the people of God. Joshua said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah said uh, to all the people on top of Mount Carmel, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. Get your feet out of both worlds. Somebody help me preach. Look, you can't walk with the world and walk with God at the same time. You can't walk in the light and fellowship with darkness at the same time. It cannot happen. How long halt ye between two opinions? Make up your mind what you're going to do and do it. And if you're going to go walk in the world, go walk in the world. If you're going to follow Christ, then sell out. Why I feel like preaching all of a sudden. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. Orpah just takes off. I'm not saying she didn't love Naomi. I believe she did. I think they had a great relationship. Don't misunderstand me. But she goes back. She went seeking for all the safety nets of her homeland. We now have a heavenly citizenship. 
She goes back seeking all the safety nets of this world. But something inside of Ruth realized that it wasn't about what was logical. She had learned that if she would seek first the kingdom of God, then all that she needed in life would be provided by her God. In Psalm 84, 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Ruth wasn't concerned with how it was all going to pan out. She wasn't sitting there doing a list of pros and cons and seeing what the best decision was to make. But her one concern was to be with God and to dwell with the people of God. And though it's a message for another time, Naomi goes on to continue to help Ruth. She begins to teach her in the ways of the laws of gleaning and reaping and these things. And she, she takes Ruth and she guides her into a right relationship with a godly man in Boaz. And when all is said and done, Ruth's surrender to God will lead to the birth of King David. Amen. A man after God's own heart. The sweet psalmist of Israel. Ruth became the great-grandmother of King David. And if you follow this all the way to its end, you'll realize that through this came the Messiah because He came of the house and lineage of David. We have this wonderful picture in this Gentile woman of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ out of every nation, kindred, tongue, tribe, and people. No man can number. Where did it all begin? It all began with Naomi having the heart of a mother. Naomi had no children left. And yet, she remained a mother to Ruth. And she took Ruth under... You see, look, I don't want you to just get the idea that all this is based off of biological conditions. It's not. You can be a mother to somebody without even being their biological mother. I may say something about that in just a second. I think it's in my notes, but... This all began with Naomi having the heart of a mother. Yeah, I guess it's right here. Have you ever noticed how the term mother carries with it a certain image in our mind? There are certain attributes we attach to the term mother. Even if one had a terrible childhood where they were cast aside by their biological mother, usually, typically, there is a situation which arises arises where they say, this woman has become like a mother to me. Even with no experience to base that off of, they know that this person feels like a mom. How is that? There must be something then that is intuitive inside each of us that understands the characteristics of an affectionate, caring mother. And through the sacrifice of a mother's heart in Naomi, get this now, this is going to be the meat. Ruth's foundation in the Lord was anchored in Naomi's Motherly guidance. Because remember, the way this flows here in the early parts of chapter 1, it seems like to me they get to Moab, Elimelech dies, and then the two sons marry. That's kind of how it reads, and I guess I don't know for sure, but if that's the case, Naomi's doing this on her own. She's the one putting, instilling into them the things of the Lord. And it's interesting to me, as I thought about this, how the foundational understanding of the gospel and the nature of God begins with traits of a mother. You ever noticed that before? I just jotted down some things. I'm sure there there are more. But mothers provide protection for their children. You protected them for nine months in the womb. Your child was cared by you in a unique way from the moment of conception. 
and your child was dependent upon you like no one else, all of a sudden you cared about what you ate. You then protected them as an infant, as a toddler, and as a little child. And as I jokingly said this morning, after that, all bets are off. Just ask the DeGarmo family. I mentioned how they've got it on speed dial to urgent care, and urgent care looks at the number and goes, DeGarmo family, line one. (laughs) I've never seen a family more injured than the DeGarmos. (laughs) You had to be here in the first service, anyway. What did Jesus say of Jerusalem? He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Jesus uses the picture of a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings for protection. Moms are very protective of their children. And I don't mean in a way that they're guarding them from what to expect in the world. I just mean there's a reason for the term mama bear. If you've ever been confronted with a mama bear. Yeah. I can remember times when the mama bear came out in my mom. I could tell you some stories, and I'm sure she's listening this morning. But she will never forget, and I will never forget, when she made the Marine drill sergeant cry (laughs) when I was in high school because mama bear came out. And he came to me in tears apologizing. Our mothers nurse us when we are newborns. The Bible speaks of the milk of the Word. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. A mother's heart is nurturing, or they teach their children. And we are told to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, which is to teach and correct along the way. A mother's heart cherishes her children. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. And that goes back to the picture of a mama chicken gathering her chicks into this brood. That's what it means, a brood. A mother provides for her children. After Hannah gave Samuel back to the Lord, she made Samuel a new little coat, the Bible. It's so precious the way that's worded. Made him a new little coat. And she brought it to him year after year. She didn't buy it, but she made it. It's the heart of a mom. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And the very act of being entered into the family of God is spoken of as being born again. So we see throughout the Bible that the foundation is found in motherly traits. We must be born again. The spiritual birth is pictured in our physical birth. In Galatians 4.19, Paul said, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Like I said, there's many things we could add to this, I'm sure. But all the difficult decisions you make in life as mothers are geared around what is best for your children in your home. You may have to be agreeable to whatever husband says, but you know in your heart you want to make the decision that's best for your children. I'm I'm not saying that you're putting your children above your husband. I'm not suggesting that. But you understand the heart of a mother, I'm sure. Always thinking of what is best for her children when a life-changing decision is about to be made. I don't reckon I would be at liberty to give any details, but I'm thankful how my mom has shared with me how she thought of her children when her life came to a major crossroads. Crossroads. 
And she decided to do what she felt would put her children in the most loving environment, not necessarily what would be the easiest for her. That's the heart of a mom. And isn't that what God did for us? He didn't take the easy way out, but He laid down His life for us. Jesus coming in flesh laid down His prerogative as deity for us. It wasn't the easiest, but it was the best. And I'm thankful how my mother modeled Jesus this way because I can see Christ's sacrificial love through her life. To our mothers and our mother figures in here, can you see how important your influence is in the the spiritual development of children? You are that foundation. You are to model all the beginnings of being born into the family of God and being cared for in the Lord. You have the ability, like no one else on earth, to picture for your children during their developmental years what it means to have the gospel. And even though Naomi didn't give birth to Ruth, and this goes to those maybe you haven't had children, Even though Naomi didn't give birth to Ruth, she spiritually provided her protection. She nursed her along in the faith. She nurtured her in the things of God. She cherished Ruth. She ends up providing for her and she brings her into the new birth because she labored in her life. And as we see with Naomi and Ruth, your motherly impact in another's life may reach far beyond your lifespan. It may touch generations later. You may not even be here to know it, but how wonderful would it be to know that four generations from now, because you raised your children in the Lord Jesus Christ, that four generations away, they're still serving the Lord. Amen. That you're still making an impact upon this earth. And you may never know the full impact until eternity. And there's going to be seasons of difficulty in raising children. And all the parents said, Amen. But please, keep pressing on. Don't give up. Because I want to tell you, whether you realize it or not, you are making an impact. Look at all those muscle-bound guys in the NFL when the camera hits them on the sideline. Hey, Mom. They never say hi to Dad. Listen, stay with it because there's a reward. Her children will arise and call her blessed. Moms, you have the greatest job in the world in laying the foundation for spiritual understanding in a child's life. Take advantage of that and point your family to Christ. Would you pray with me?